Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to our webinar. Our topic today is optimizing the business through automation, a practical approach to achieving hyper-automation. Hyper uh, my name is Jason Bloomberg. I'm president of Intellix, an industry analyst firm. Uh, and joining me is Derek Birdsong from uh, ServiceNow. Uh, so what we'll be talking about today is uh, hyper-automation. We'll throw out our definitions of the term, and then we'll also uh, talk about how hyper-automation fits into the overall trend of automation, how we got here, uh, and uh, sort of the historical context. We'll talk a bit about customers and the successes they're seeing, or maybe not so much successes, uh, uh, as the case may be. Uh, and then we'll provide some advice uh, for how enterprises uh, should get started with hyper-automation. So, uh, Derek, why don't you uh, uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, thanks, Jason. So, so great to be with you. I'm, I'm Derek Birdsong, as, as Jason said. Uh, I lead product marketing for hyper-automation here at ServiceNow, and I'm pretty excited about this discussion because what, what I really want to do today is, uh, is, you know, in this conversation, really uncover what the real value is of a hyper-automation approach. Uh, you know, especially, Jason, given that the word itself is kind of shrouded in mystery for a lot of people. So hopefully we can uh, really make an attempt at uh, trying to fix that today. Very good. Well, uh, just to kick us off, uh, hyper-automation is a Gartner term. Uh, and, you know, there's nobody from Gartner on the call to defend themselves, so I get to poke my stick at them. Uh, essentially, what Gartner said is that there's a variety of different uh, technology offerings on the market that all fit into this automation space. There's digital process automation and process mining and rules engines and uh, uh, a BPM and uh, RPA, robotic process automation. And they should somehow stick together. So Gartner pulled out their bucket and threw all these, these different uh, technologies in the bucket and said, hey, here enterprises, implement this stuff. And it sort of uh, caused some friction in the marketplace because people were wondering why, why they would need to buy all these different things and how they would fit together. And are, is Gartner really expecting companies to get all these things to work together? So what we find in the marketplace now is that the hyper automation term is sort of past its hype phase, right? The, the, anytime the, a word begins with H-Y-P-E, it always makes you wonder. Uh, and really our challenge today is how do we take this, this bucket of different things that Gartner gave us and, and make sense out of it? How can we move forward with a notion of, um, a modern notion of automation that may pull together these different technology trends, but really is less about technology and more about the processes that organizations have and how they can improve or transform those processes. So this is one of the key challenges, right? What it's not, a, it's not a technology problem looking for a technology solution. It's a business problem, and we're going to leverage technology, but process transformation is really a lot more than just technology. So, so that's sort of my uh, take, uh, poking my stick a bit at Gartner. So, uh, Derek, what, what do you think? Yeah, that's great, and, and, uh, and I like how you described it there, and it kind of informs how I think about hyper-automation as well. I mean, you know, first, whatever term you use, I, I think a lot of enterprises are driving towards the same direction. Um, but they may use different terminology to get there. But but when I hear hyper automation, it, it's really kind of three concepts for me. So first and foremost, like you said, for me, it's a business strategy. So the business goal of trying to automate as much as is reasonably possible. The, the second is uh, it's a different approach to how we've done this before. Also, also to your point to some extent. So the ability to link different automation capabilities together so that we have a more complete view of how work and processes actually get done. So we're able to better understand the value of what these processes and tasks are, but also maybe more importantly, the improvement opportunities. When we can see things end to end, 
a more centralized view of the data, the processes, the tasks, we can actually begin to improve upon those and learn about how the performance is actually affecting what happens in the business. And then the third piece for me is, is a bit more philosophical. So it's that we now have the ability with hyper automation to use the right automation tool for the right business need. And so gone are, are the days where we only had BPM or maybe we, we also maybe had ERP to achieve something that, that looked like automation, but it wasn't everywhere in the business. It, it certainly wasn't accessible to everyone and, and it was a bit rigid. So I know we're gonna talk more about that, but that, that's what comes to mind for me is really those three pieces um, you know, to make up hyper automation. So I guess in summary, it feels to me that the, the business demand for automation, and we know it's there, is really peaking at the same time that uh, the technology is maturing, which I think is kind of rare, Jason, for what we typically see, um, particularly in, in, in the enterprise software space. It's often the other way around, as you said, it's a, uh, a technology uh, often searching for a business problem. And I think in this case, we have, uh, we have a bit of a benefit that the two are, are, are coming together. So I think with that, you know, Jason, I want to talk about what is the state of this market from your perspective? Where are we at right now with hyper automation? Yeah, I think it's important to emphasize that when we talk about automation today, we're talking about automating uh, essentially knowledge worker tasks uh, and processes that are made up of these tasks that that are you know, essentially people in offices working in front of their computers and the sorts of things that they're doing day to day. And we're automating many of those activities. So keep in mind that this is not where the word automation came from, right? Automation, it was an industrial term. And we've been automating since the early 18th century with the Jacquard loom, right? The Jacquard loom uh, had uh, punch cards that would drive the, the loom and would weave fabric based upon the, the essentially the program in, on, in the punch cards. And we've been automating uh, processes ever since within that context of, uh, op, uh, you know, operational technology. So whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, looms or other equipment, right? We want to automate those and that modern automation in that context are the robots that assemble uh, automobiles, right? Or fully automated robots. But when we talk about automation in the context we're talking about today, we're talking about this knowledge worker context. And if you think about the day-to-day -day life of a knowledge worker, and this could be anybody from a financial analyst to uh, an executive to uh, include software developers, but goes well beyond that to really anybody, uh, essentially a white collar worker, anybody working in an office um, or uh, other places, right? Field service and other uh, other roles, and there are many blue collar roles today that also leverage automation. But if you think about the, this kind of role, um, it's not like the, we're saying, okay, well, we used to do all this stuff manually, and now we're just going to get some sort of uh, co computer robot kind of thing to do it all for us, right? It's not black and white like that, where we're turning over our day-to-day -day work to some machine. Because the sorts of work that a knowledge worker do, does uh, it doesn't lend itself to that, right? We're bringing our expertise and knowledge and uh, professionalism as human beings, as well as creativity and collaboration, all of these human aspects to our day-to-day -day work. And really now automation is is meant to support that, right? It's meant to, to take the stuff off of our plates that we don't want on our plates and to tie things together, right? To help facilitate workflows that interact, that, that 
essentially coordinate how many different people interact uh, in their day-to-day -day work across an organization. So there's many different aspects of automation today that are more collaborative and more communication-oriented, more human-oriented, and that really shifts the nature of automation because it's not really about machines doing stuff for us in sort of a black-and-white fashion like the Jacquard Loom where, you know, you, you didn't want people shuttling that that thing across and you wanted a, you know, a machine to do it instead. So it's really a very different concept. Uh, so, uh, so that ties now to the concept of uh, digital transformation as well and how organizations are transforming not just their processes, but really their whole organization. And that's a key part of the story as well. So question for you then, uh, Derek, does hyper automation help with digital transformation and uh, why or why not? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it, it's a very important question to, to, to talk about, I think. Um, why do I think so? Because we're hearing a lot of customers either using those terms interchangeably or they're saying that uh, hyper automation is a key or the key uh, initiative that supports their digital transformation, right? And so, you know, customers are often trying to solve the same problem to a large degree. They're trying to connect disparate people, processes, and systems, as you said, for a more seamless work experience for their employees, but also a more seamless customer experience, right? Regardless of, of, of industry, right? Without even getting into verticals, um, a more seamless work experience and a more seamless customer experience um, through digital often delivered by automation capabilities, um, begins to solve uh, much of the same challenge, right? And begins to put them, puts them past their competition. Now there's other challenges as well that might be unique to automation, like this kind of, this concept of, of, of islands of automation, right? We talked briefly earlier about ERP and, and, and certain systems that exist today that begin to automate at scale, but they exist only in certain teams, certain departments, only automating certain systems or processes. And, and we have these, these islands of automation that, that are happening, which are nice in theory, but they fundamentally disconnect um, uh, cer certain people and the ability to actually achieve seamless work and seamless customer experience. Um, and so I think that's, that's a goal for a lot of companies is not just to improve how they interact with their customers in a digital way, but actually help their employees and their well-being by interacting with their work in a digital way as well and kind of improve that overall uh, employee experience. So I, you know, since we're on the topic, Jason, and and since I've uh, been been unable unable to avoid in, in bringing it up, you know, you know the traditional BPM space really well. Uh, you're you're kind of an expert in it, and so, you know, what what really held back BPM from from really large scale success and achieving what we what we're now calling hyper automation, um, but uh, that might have been a goal back when BPM was first introduced. What's different about then from now and and uh, you know these automation capabilities today um, for what BPM promised back then? Yeah, it's a good question. BPM, uh, first of all, what does BPM stand for? And we're, we already run into a problem simply trying to spell out what it stands for because mm -hmm. it began, uh, the term began as business process modeling uh, and shifted to business process management, uh, but retaining the same three letters, right? So it already is confusing. So in the early days, it was really about modeling and the BPM tools were modeling tools. And, uh, you know, instead of having, uh, you know, a conference room full of uh, process specialists drawing uh, flow charts on whiteboards and uh, then taking them down on paper, it's like, well, hey, we can use software for that. So they had modeling tools that would, uh, would uh, help people create these visual models of processes. And over time then the software 
software, uh, some you know, there were either other products or some of the modeling tools added capabilities, and it became more of this management context. But the challenge is, how do you manage processes that may not be automated, that may not involve the uh, technology at all, or the different parts of the processes involves different technologies and this was really the what held back BPM from being that successful is that if you think about the sorts of processes that these uh, you know organizations looking to implement BPM were working with there was no single technology supporting them it's not like all of the processes were running on the same piece of middleware or the same application right you had processes cutting across applications that may or may not be integrated or maybe leveraging different kinds of middleware to integrate and so you in order to manage them then, what you ended up with was managing parts of the processes, right? Maybe you could manage the connection between your ERP and, and your, your CRM system, but that left out a lot of the things people were doing with other applications or simply doing manually because no applications worked or they were using a, you know, a spreadsheet because the, 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 the enterprise app wasn't up to the task. And those sorts of activities are very hard to manage, let alone automate. So BPM really, really never became business process automation. Automation was really a different set of challenges that took a look at how we were managing processes and saying, well, if we can come up with uh, essentially standard ways of representing the steps in a process, maybe we can leverage our middleware to automate the process. But back in the 2000s, the middleware was just not mature enough and the, the standards were mature enough and, and the whole thing sort of you know, reached its limit. So, uh, there were a lot of challenges there. And, and so today we have more modern integration technologies, our, appl our application environments have standard APIs, right? We have far more uh, capabilities uh, th that we can leverage, where right? we can leverage cloud computing for many of uh, many of these capabilities. And all of the middleware we implemented back in the 2000s didn't work in the cloud anyway. So we had to change all of that stuff out e before we could even really get to thinking about how to automate processes. So, uh, so that's sort of how how I think. Derek, what, what's your what's your take on things? Yeah, I I, I I echo everything everything you said. I think that was really well put. I you know I, I think what what has uh, what has changed and almost made things worse um, is that uh, you know digital business has, has really changed everything, right? Kind of as you alluded to. So as competition speeds up, as the requirements of customers, of employees, of productivity speeds up, we, we fundamentally require more business agility. Processes need to execute more quickly, but, but they're also changing more dynamically. What was a mortgage loan process before um, may have really concrete steps. It now needs to become a bit more dynamic based on the persona, the experience, the data that's being input into the system, what we know about the person, what, what information we already have, uh, what, what systems of integration that we rely on to execute the process. And so as things become more dynamic and, and frankly faster, uh, it's not really possible to rely on centers of excellence and really high technical expertise for things like, um, uh, uh, like large-scale processes. And so, you know, as we look at what's possible now, not just as employees become um, uh, re really innovators right across the business, but the need for democratization of automation becomes fundamentally important, not just because uh, we have innovators who are in the company who, who want to uh, participate in automation because it'll change their work experience and also the customer experience, but, uh, but also because we, we have more things that need to be automated, right? Things are moving more quickly. There are more processes. There are more tasks, right? That, that is expanding. 
and our ability to, to really optimize the, the investment we make in not just our systems, but also our people uh, is now available, right? So this is where, you know, concepts like low code and, and application development come into, uh, uh, kind of come into vogue because it makes auto, uh, automation of processes and tasks across teams, uh, across systems, across the entire enterprise um, uh, more open and available uh, to this, uh, this army of people who can now contribute to it and, uh, and, and really speed up um, what processes uh, process change looked like before, which in a BPM world was, was much harder. And uh, in, in the new world is looking a lot um, simpler and more accessible, uh, to kind of put it simply. So, you know, in, in terms of BPM and, and, and that era, um, th there's another parallel that's very different, um, but, but kind of follows uh, um, somewhat of a, 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 a similar conversation path, I think, which is robotic process automation. So, you know, with RPA, it's a huge um, and valuable set of capabilities when people have the hyper automation conversation and, and often have a hyper automation strategy. RPA usually plays um, a major part in it. But it's not new technology, Jason, right? It's, it's not, uh, yeah. I, I, would, I wouldn't put it in the same category as, as BPM, but how do you think about um, RPA and what it's, what it's good for, maybe not good for in the context of hyper automation and how should customers think about using it for achieving a hyper automation goal? Well, robots, I mean, who doesn't like robots? Robots are cool. Robots are sexy. <laughs> Let's forget the fact that most robots in movies are evil. Uh, we still love them, right? We, we love to the robots as villains, just uh, as well as the robot as good guy. Um, so, you know, it, it's no wonder that the marketers sort of jumped on this term. But as you said, ro RPA, robotic process automation, has been around for decades. We used to call it uh, uh, scripting. We used to call it working on a Macintosh. And with a with a language called Apple Script that Apple came out with back in the day, and what was it for? It was essentially a macro language for scripting the user interface, right? So instead of you know doing the same click drag you know open app click drag kind of thing, uh, you could write a little macro and it would it would do the clicking and, and dragging for you, and and that is essentially RPA, right? It's uh, typically focused, or it start, starts off being focused on scripting a user interface, uh, uh, executing or automating uh, simple or increasingly complex tasks that a human being would otherwise have to do as they're interacting with an interface. But now we can get our, our cute little bot to do it instead. So it's task automation. It's not really process automation, right? It's a, a, automating a particular task. It's not really anything new, although the technologies say for understanding some of these legacy user interfaces, like a green screen, mainframe, terminal interface, those technologies are getting really good. So, you know, they can understand where the buttons are and all this stuff. And so so that's getting better, but but it's it's still uh, um, a bit overhyped uh, in the context of uh, what's going on in the overall RPA market today. Now, fundamentally, though, RPA has two core challenges. One is that because it is scripting user interface, it is inherently brittle, right? If that user interface changes too much, or if uh, requirements for uh, a bot change, or if the data formats change, or if the applications that it's interacting with change, right? If there's any, any of those changes can break the bot. So 
what you need to do to, to mount an enterprise level RPA effort is to have a team of people maintaining the bots on an ongoing basis, right? There's a lot of maintenance, so they're expensive to, to, uh, to maintain. The second problem with RPA is that it doesn't reduce technical debt. If anything, it adds to your technical debt, right? If you have a legacy app, maybe one of those green screen apps or some other app that doesn't have APIs in particular, so just some user interface, whatever it is, could Windows NT under the covers or who knows what it is, but there's this old stuff and you don't want to mess with it, so you just script the interface instead. Well, that leaves your technical debt in place, right? And so maybe the next person in your role will have to pay it, but you're you're kicking the can down the road. And sometimes RPA can actually add to technical debt because the bots themselves now need to be maintained. And you, over time, you end up with more and more bots with more and more maintenance. And that's a technical debt problem. So all that being said, RPA has exploded onto the market. The big vendors in this space are unicorns, right? Billion dollar plus valuations. So obviously, enterprises are signing up for RPA. So in spite of its shortcomings, RPA provides enormous value in terms of efficiency gains for those tasks that RPA is well-suited to automate. So for large organizations, they can, they can create 20, 30, 40 of these bots, and each one pays for itself multiple times, makes it all worth the trouble in spite of the technical debt, in spite of the maintenance costs, uh, these um, bots still make it worthwhile. And that's really why RPA has taken off. Now, that being said, RPA has its limitations. And so the RPA vendor community basically said, well, we got we to gotta do more than this, right? We can't just be uh, bots, you know, bots are us forever. And, you know, worked with Gartner to come up with this hyper automation term because hyper automation plus all the other things, automation, process mining rules, engines, uh, and a few other things uh, as a way for the RPA vendors to expand their market to free themselves from from being locked into the limitations of RPA, and from the enterprise side to offer more capabilities, in particular process automation capabilities that RPA is not particularly well suited for. So that's that's some of the challenges. So um, so let's turn it over to Derek again. So uh, how do you see RPA? Am, am I being too hard on it, or do, or do you sort of agree with me? I I think there's a lot of fair things you said there, Jason. You know, it it, it is great for rapid value task automation, right? The, the valuations um, aren't coming from nowhere, right? Customers really love the ability to turn around this ROI really quickly. The, this low-hanging fruit of automation is there, it exists, which is why um, enterprises love to apply bots um, to, to get that really rapid uh, value task automation. But, but as you said, it's not a great fit for automation that cuts across many different systems, right? So, uh, you know, as you look at something, what we would traditionally call a process, um, so linking together multiple tasks or, or having many different, you know, gates or, or even something like um, uh, like case management. Uh, this is not something where RPA plays particularly well um, because it's uh, it's not technology that's designed for that. And particularly because of its reliance on user interfaces, as you said, great for getting value, um, the real value that exists in legacy applications, you know, green screens, non-API systems, et cetera. Um, or when you know automation is is kind of needed by non-technical users, but when it gets hard and brittle, as you said, is when those interfaces change, and sometimes they do change very often, right? And so ha having mission critical processes with bots that you're not able to predict when things might go wrong becomes a bit of a problem. And and we've seen, you know, particularly with um, you know, the RPA market in general, RPA being stretched beyond its means or kind of beyond its ideal capabilities, 
Um, and that's when it begins to fail, right? And this often happens when, you know, that, that set of RPA capabilities doesn't have uh, the ability for the customer to have expand and mature their capabilities beyond just tasks. And if there's no process and workflow automation that is part of that platform, then things begin to uh, become challenging, right? You begin to have a lot, not just a lot more technical debt, um, but stretching RPA beyond its ideal set of capabilities. So, you know, as you look at um, the, the ability to utilize RPA in the right way, it's really important to have kind of a central view of the data, right? So what is the RPA uh, kind of bot army executing at the moment, right? What, what, what's the um, success uh, that, that the bots are having, are, it, are there potential failures coming? And, and so it becomes a bit of an opportunity as well if you can make your bots more reliable, uh, right? And, and be able to, to, to say that they're, they have a really hardened process that they're executing or set of tasks that they're executing, um, that is actually possible, right? So, so if you have centralized data of not just bots that are being executed, but also systems that those bots are relying on because the integrations that you have with those systems, um, you can actually begin in a single platform to predict um, what the what the failures could be and remediate it, right? So be able to actually diagnose potential challenges with the bots, fix that ahead of time, and then your enterprise-wide, um, you know, kind of crown jewel processes that the enterprise relies on, they don't go down, right? So that, that's kind of the potential in the RPA space and something that, that um, we're, we're really focused on at, at, at ServiceNow because of our, our approach is being able to actually uh, kind of alleviate those potential failures before it happens. So it, it's something where one of the biggest challenges that customers have um, could be actually begin to be solvable with, uh, with certain approaches to RPA. So utilizing that, uh, that rapid value task automation that customers love, but also um, kind of integrating it in, for lack of a better term, into their cross-enterprise processes that are fundamental to their business and making sure that that, that potential failure um, you know, doesn't occur. Yeah, so when I think about that phrase, you know, cross-enterprise processes, uh, I, there's a particular process that I, I keep thinking of as the example that I, I come back to to illustrate sort of what we're talking about here. And that, and that process is employee onboarding. Right, so you're at a big mm -hmm. company, a new employee, what do you have to do? Well, you have to you know, do your paperwork with HR. You gotta get your new computer. You gotta get your Cuber office. You gotta get your logins to however many different things you need logins for. You gotta get your badge, your security badge. It has to be set up properly. Uh, and you may, maybe a few other things as well you know, that you need to do. And I remember, you know, I, it's been a while since I worked at a big company, but I did back in the 90s, and it took me two weeks to get all that squared away. In the meantime, <laughs> I was just twiddling my thumbs. It was sort of funny, it's like I felt, I felt guilty for like not having anything to do for weeks because I didn't have like the ability to log into something or what it was that was the problem. So uh, if you think about that kind of process, first of all, uh, it's very common, right? You know, every big company and mid-sized company and even smaller companies, every employee has to go through it, right? Uh, uh, but secondly, it touches many different departments, right? You have IT setting up the computer and the logins. You have facilities setting up the uh, you know the, the the cube or the office, maybe another part of facilities uh, or security sets up the badge, right? And then you have HR doing the paperwork, and these are all different departments with different people in them, and they have these handoffs, and they could be rather complex handoffs, and some things can be done in parallel, other things depend upon have, a, have inter, internal dependencies. Well, this is not the sort of thing that RPA is particularly good at. Now, RPA might handle individual tasks, right? There might be, a, you know, a badge provisioning uh, bot, and that could easily be something a bot could do, but it's not going to handle the overall employee onboarding process because there's too many moving parts, too many different people involved, too many different departments involved, too many handoffs and dependencies. Now, 
what's a good company to look to 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 do this to, to implement this kind of process? Well, ServiceNow, right? There's no coincidence we're on the call with ServiceNow because ServiceNow has been essentially supporting these kinds of processes. This is a service management process, uh, and they've been supporting it for years. They've been doing this kind of stuff for years. So it makes perfect sense that hyper automation in the ServiceNow context uh, deals with a lot of these challenges, the limitations of RPA, you know, that they're testing in specific people or specific activities in particular departments where, you know, service management often cuts across these departments. So, so Derek, it'd be interesting to hear some, at least one, you know, real world uh, customer story uh, that, that you might have that you can bring to the table because I'd love to hear it as well. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me think here for you. Uh, you know, I I think it's um it, it's true. This is a, this is kind of our our secret sauce, right? This is how we really transform enterprises is is through automation at large scale. And, and you know, there's a large European bank that comes to mind, and this one this one in particular, um, you know, o- over 10 billion in annual revenue, really large global brand that you would know, uh, you know, competing in in 60 plus global markets. And you know, with with these type of uh, enterprises, and particularly this one. They have a long history, right, of success and, and doing things at really large enterprise scale. But, you know, this one in particular not only had a business imperative for digital transformation, as you might guess, kind of similar to our earlier conversation, um, they made that very clear to us, right? They're digitally transforming. But they also noted that this initiative dovetailed with their automation goals as well, right? So a perfect fit where digital transformation is, at least in large part, being delivered by their automation goals for the business. So... You know, their objectives in this case were to improve internal speed and particularly agility, as we talked about, right, as the market dynamics change, but also to enhance their customer interactions and their employee interactions, right? <laughs> so to do that, they needed to evolve many different legacy processes, right? And, and the employee-centric tasks um, specifically that make up a lot of those processes and evolve them more into a low-code, adaptable process experience which will give them you know, more opportunity to make their processes more dynamic, as we talked about, really adaptable and changeable to the market conditions, but also more agile to what they expect from their competition as well, because they're innovating internally, but their competitors are innovating as well. So their initial focus was to focus on employee processes, right? So th- this is kind of an interesting space because, a- a- as you noted, employee processes are really, really interesting because they're connecting the digital realm, so these internal systems and, and data that we have, with the physical realm, right? Entry into offices, right? Badges, uh, you know, interactions of, of paper offer letters or, or you know, wh- wh- whatever the, the particular process looks like for the customer. So it's a really unique space uh, that makes it really interesting for the future of automation. So their initial focus was on employee processes. And, and for this bank, there was more than 140 automated processes that, that they transformed as part of this go live with ServiceNow using modern low-code automation for faster development and adaptation of these processes. But beyond that, with these cross-enterprise processes, they're also using RPA to transform employee work as a part of this. So removing hundreds of thousands of employee work hours, manual repetitive work around areas like you know, IT employee requests, data entry, uh, employee device change processes, and things like this, um, to actually uh, make the business and productivity not just of people, but of the business moves significantly faster. So not only is the business transformed and the ability to execute processes more quickly transformed, but that impacts the customer experience, right? Kind of in the end game, but also you know, impacts the day-to-day well-being of these employees because now they can focus on innovation initiatives, right? And not things like data entry or kind of entering uh, mundane information into systems 
or, or vice versa. So it, it's, it's really interesting. And, and you know, with ServiceNow, they really scaled up their overall automation capability or kind of ability as a company. Thousands of employees and, and also now citizen developers are really participating in automation using multiple tools, right? So we talked about the ability to have multiple automation tools using the right one for the right challenge. This is what they're now able to do in a single platform of ServiceNow. And then they also begin to create that full view, uh, having all of that data in one place, that full view of how their processes and tasks are performing, right? And be able to understand where the bottlenecks are, where the optimization opportunities are, and learn and improve over time, which is which is really kind of a, a an interesting new frontier for automation. And this is what, when I think of hyper automation, this is what I think of, because it's the ability to learn um, over time because of this end-to-end -end view that we have, because all these automation capabilities and technologies are linked together, uh, talking to one another, and not just kind of separate islands of automation, providing some value, but not the one plus one equals three value uh, that I think of when I think of the promise uh, of hyper automation. So that's just one example for you kind of in, a, in, the, in the banking sector, as it were, uh, Jason, for what we're doing uh, to help customers at ServiceNow. But what, what are you hearing from your audience, right? And in the broader market around high value use cases and examples that uh, kind, of, kind of resonate with you? Well, one example that uh, you, you may not think of when you first think of uh, process automation is essentially what goes on inside a hospital. And there, there are many different processes. There are some are you know, clinically oriented, right, what the physicians are doing when they work with charts and things like that. But one in particular is the device management processes. So devices in a hospital, these are, you know, the the medical and clinical devices, everything from a blood pressure monitor to an MRI, uh, they have to be scheduled. Some of them are mobile, so they have to be found, right? Sometimes they lose track of them because somebody rolled it into a corner and didn't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they, there may be... Uh, uh, you know, priorities based upon clinical need, right? Some somebody who's sicker, you might get a device before somebody else. Uh, and then, of course, there's this broader uh, compliance context, right? You know, the patient confidentiality and, and HIPAA requirements. So automating these processes can be tricky. Uh, one, because uh, they're, they have many different devices all over the, the hospital and many different people who may be interacting with those devices, but especially tricky because of the confidentiality uh, requirements within within hospitals. So those kinds of challenges, uh, you know, really require this, you know, very carefully considered enterprise level automation. If you want to call it hyper automation, that's fine. You know, I don't know. I'm not convinced that the word hyper automation is any better than just saying automation. Uh, but uh, in any case, that, that is a great example of a sort of process that is not simply uh, task automation and is, is not a linear process. A lot of times when we think about a process, we think about you know, step one, step two, step three, and then we're done, like the, like the employee onboarding. But you know, managing devices in a hospital is not like that, right? It's things are going on all the time. People have different needs all the time. There are emergencies all the time, and and you know, and the last thing you want is to have an important device lost in a corner somewhere. So those those kinds of challenges um, are sort of at the forefront of the more complicated process challenges uh, in an organization. That, that that's great. I, I you know I think the the healthcare example is always really kind of hit home with everyone because it's not just an enterprise experience, but it's also a very personal experience. And so I think that's uh, yeah. a, that's a great way to way to look at it and kind of understand how that how it affects not just the employees but also the uh, those consumers of healthcare, which is all of us, as it were. So, um, you know, Jason, as we, as we spent some time talking about um, uh, you know what not to do in some cases, as we look back mm -hmm. across history of across automation technology. 
how should enterprises think about selecting new and modern technology to, to begin to achieve hyper-automation? And does their current automation maturity play a part in that? Well, actually, you're not asking the right question, right? Uh, you've already fallen into my trap. <laughs> I fell into my trap, <laughs> right? Because you asked about the technology. The better question is how do you how do you start with an automation or hyper automation uh, uh, initiative, right? And the first option is start with the technology. And if you read Gardner's reports, it sort of seems like where they're going. It's like, well, hyper automation is using all these technologies, so pick your technologies and string them together or whatever it is, right? And the other option might be to um, start with your processes. Say, well, we have a bunch of processes, we want to automate these processes, so how do we do that? And that might drive your technology choices. But, the, but there's a third option, and the third option is to start with your business priorities, right? Your business priority might be a, a digital transformation priority, right? Better meeting customer needs end to end, or it might be a profitability uh, priority, or maybe there's a merger or acquisition kind of priority in the mix or something like that. And that kind of priority will more often than not drive a process transformation requirement. So process transformation, the reason I point this out is it's different from saying, well, I have a bunch of processes, let's automate them. Because if you have processes that don't work well for your business, they no longer meet your company's needs, then automating them is just going to be, you know, doing crappy things faster, right? And that's not what you want to achieve, right? So you, uh, you need to think about the process requirements based upon your business requirements. If that means changing your processes, then that's what you need to do. And you should look to technology and say, well, what is possible? Right? I want to transform my processes to better meet these business needs. What technologies can I bring to bear in order to support those process transformation needs? Now that technology is available, I have all of these digital capabilities, maybe RPA, maybe process mining, maybe uh, digital process automation, right? And, and based upon the needs of the processes that you want to have, they may not be the processes you currently have, that should drive your technology decisions, right? So start with a business problem, then think about your process transformation needs, then think about your automation needs based upon those, and then think about your technology requirements. And that's, that's really the best advice that I can give that would apply to anybody looking at hyper-automation. Uh, yes, and that that that's that's really well put, and uh, and you're you're welcome for the setup, by the way, um, <laughs> because I, you know I, I think the way that we think about it at ServiceNow is very similar because uh, the it, it's easy to say that uh, we're we're going to hyper automate everything, but in in practice, you know, as we look at uh, enterprise business strategy, um, you may have a, a you know overall digital transformation goal um, that is to eventually digitally transform everything across a business, but there are timelines, priorities, um, and in fact, there's often low-hanging low fruit where we need to execute on a particular business goal um, on day one, or at least in year one. And so as, as we look at um, defining where those low-hanging fruit are for automation, even if the goal is hyper-automation of the entire business, that's ultimately where we need to begin, right? Because there should be a business KPI, even a specific result, or even financial result, we're trying to drive as part of an automation initiative. And so that's what I think is particularly interesting about this new, uh, this new journey, at least with, um, with hyper automation is as we get more of an end to end view of not just uh, what processes are executing end to end and what takes part <laughs> across that entire process, but then the end result, the analytics to be able to say, here's the end result and the impact we had for a specific set of business KPIs that really changed uh, results um, for the business. 
that's actually where we want to get to with automation. And the technology actually helps us get there in a different way than we've been able to before. So, you know, as you said, Jason, with the with the linking of process discovery, so discovering where our opportunities are uh, in processes to be able to kind of optimize and change those. Um, the orchestration of those processes, right? We've gotten better at that over time uh, to be able to use multiple uh, different capabilities to use um, automation for the right business need, whether it's a, uh, a task, a workflow, uh, across enterprise process, um, we can do that differently now. And then begin to apply some intelligence, right? Get smarter with AI um, to make smarter decisions, to develop applications more quickly, um, to be able to make recommendations for how we should automate. And then finally, as I said, wrap it all together with, with this feedback loop of an end-to-end -end view of analytics or performance analytics, as it were, to be able to say, this is how we can learn what, what the process was executed, where we can optimize over time. It's, it's a big opportunity, right? And so this is where choosing a, a future-proof platform um, like, uh, like the Now Platform of Service Now gives enterprises the ability to kind of grow with their maturity and not stall out with uh, a certain kind of ring-fenced set of capabilities that can only do one thing, right? Or eventually have many, many different vendors over time uh, to add capabilities as you need to, but then ultimately tech debt is increased. You, you have many different vendors and capabilities that don't necessarily talk to one another. Um, this is kind of the value of a single platform and, and, and a centralized view of the data um, because you can future-proof your automation strategy, which then ultimately future-proofs uh, your business strategy as well. Uh, being able to link those capabilities together, grow as the business grows, uh, and, and uh, kind of create a foundation for growth. So you know, one way you look at it is, um, you know, Jason, this is kind of a, it's a bit of a, um, uh, a carousel, if you will, right? There's a lot of capabilities uh, that you could adopt to achieve certain business goals. But, you know, wh where do you begin? I, you know, we get this question a lot from customers. Um, you know, do, do we have the right foundation in place to be able to, to, um, to kind of evolve and mature our automation capabilities so we become an increasingly automated business over time? And it's, and it's a great question, right? Because it is a, a, a fundamental challenge. I, you know, I think some capabilities um, are not the right fit for certain, uh, for certain businesses. So what we say at ServiceNow is to really build up that foundation first by bringing together um, systems and people. And what you need to do that is, is fundamentally integrate those core systems together so that this information, this data is interconnected and automate tasks, right? Because there's a lot of value to be captured as we said earlier around RPA, um, from automating these tasks really rapidly, right? There's a lot of really immediate value we can get from uh, really being able to help employees refocus on high value work, strategic and innovative work um, by automating those low level tasks. And what you do when you combine those two things, task automation and integration, you're really able to get a foundation for then moving to the next layer of the foundation, right? Which is automating unautomated processes and cross enterprise processes. Right, so as, as we kind of build that foundation of getting our systems and our daily work right, we can then be, begin to speed up those, those processes at a higher level. It be, the business begins to have a higher level of productivity, less bottlenecks, more, more agility and more speed because those cross-enterprise processes often rely on, like we just talked about, those core enterprise systems, making sure that they're connected, making sure that data can flow, flow freely. Because if we, we have the ability to automate our work and the connectivity between systems, then we have really a sing we, we have our work end to end flow more seamlessly, right? So from there, when we've got that foundation in place of integration, automating those tasks and that daily work, and then beginning to automate unautomated processes and open up those capabilities with low code, 
we can then evolve to more advanced capabilities. I'm thinking about process mining, uh, AI, and more autonomous processes. So that's you know probably a conversation for for another day, Jason. But I think that's you know as I think about you know when customers ask, where you know here are my business goals, where do I begin? That's what we tell customers because this is where um, you you really have a, a a blue ocean of opportunities if you have that foundation right and you can really scale out your automation capabilities and mature um, because you've been able to kind of connect the people. Uh, the systems and the processes that they rely on. So that, that, that's kind of what I would say in terms of where to begin for customers based on where they are um, with their maturity today. So, you know, I, I think that um, this has been a really useful discussion for me. I hope it has, uh, you know, for, for you as well, um, Jason. I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, having this conversation with us, kind of demystifying, um, you know, when we say hyper-automation, what it means or maybe what it doesn't mean, um, some pitfalls to, to avoid, uh, some places to begin. Um, we, you know, we talked a bit about, uh, you know, where we're seeing customer successes and also, you know, where customers have had challenges and why. I think that, um, you know, should hopefully give our, our audience a bit of a, um, a, a primer for how to think about their uh, hyper automation strategy in relation to their business strategy and how to really drive that business value based on what they're actually trying to accomplish both for their customers uh, and also for their employees. So, you know, with that, um, you know, I'd encourage the audience to, to visit, um, you know, servicenow.com, kind of understand uh, how we can help you with hyper automation uh, and begin to kind of sort through where your priorities might be and, uh, and what the right approach should be uh, for your hyper automation strategy. So with that, now I think we can, uh, you know, Jason, we can open this up to, um, you know, some live questions and, uh, uh, you know, get some, uh, some insights from the audience and see what, uh, what else they, uh, they want to learn about. So let's open it up uh, the Q&A.